Okay, so we are going to continue in our series on wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and I know that you all took my counsel from last month, and you're all probably reading at least one chapter a day, and and getting all of that information from the Word of God built into your heart and soul. So I'm very proud of you for doing that. And we're going to uh, continue through our series here. Um, We're going to be in Proverbs 1. We're going to look at verses 24 through 33, which will close out chapter 1. And we're going to look at the topic, Is God a Mean, Cruel, Nasty God? We're going to see... Really, what does the Bible have to say about that? So if you want to follow along with me as I read chapter 1, verses 24 through 33. Because I called you and you refused, I stretched out my hand. No one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel. You were not willing to accept my reproof. I will also laugh at your disaster. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your disaster comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me. Here's a frightening thing. I will not answer. They will seek me earnestly. They will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Yahweh. They were not willing to accept my counsel. They spurned all of my reproof. The consequence? So they shall eat of the fruit of their way. Be satisfied with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But look at verse 33. He who listens to me shall shall dwell securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Can you say that? about yourself today with all you see going on in our world. So let's look at slide four. In our last time together, we looked at wisdom's plea and crying out to us. Look at uh, slide four, Proverbs 1, 20 through 22. Wisdom shouts, doesn't whisper, it shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she's crying out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings, those pithy maxims we talked about when we started the series. Look at 22. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Here it is in the New Living Translation, slide 5. Wisdom shouts in the street. She's crying out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. 
That was where, like, that's kind of like our Wall Street area today. It's where all the commerce was going on. Look at 22. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Now Solomon had just finished instructing his son, if you remember from our last time together, about refusing to be enticed by sinners. This ought me also reflecting on what Paul was teaching to the church in Corinth. Look at slide 6. Do not be deceived. Right? That, uh, that very first word from may, it's the word may in Greek. It means do not. It's not. Do not be deceived. The planeste. Do not be deceived. Why? Bad company, kakai, evil company, does what? It corrupts good morals. There's a corruption there. That word hamale for keeping company, a, a grouping together with. Who are you grouping together with? The Greek word is straightforward here for that word bad is evil. It's kakas or kikas. He's talking about somebody that's wicked inside, depraved. And that word homilia for company has the idea of companionship. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, do not be seduced. Do not be led astray by um, communing or associating or having companionship with people that are wicked and deraved people or depraved people because they're the ones that are going to steer you away from God to do the things the world wants you to do that God says thou shalt not. And that pretty much is what, summing up what Solomon was warning his son about in those previous verses. If lie in wait, let's go kill, let's go plunder, let's steal. Look at slide 7. But what is wisdom doing for you and I, even today, like almost 4,000 years later? What is wisdom doing? Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls out to the crowds along the main street, to those gathered in front of the city gate. Wisdom, church, isn't just for the home. It should begin there with parents teaching their children. But it's also beneficial to help you and I navigate life in the streets. The streets are not very friendly, are they? Amen? You know, that Hebrew word for shouts in the Hebrew has this idea of this loud emotional plea to hear. And I asked you to think about, in our last time together, all the noise, the commotion, the confusion, the unrest, and the uncertainty out there in the streets. Think about all the voices bidding for your attention around this time. Everybody wants to give you a deal. Buy now. Pay later. I don't care if you ever paid your bills. It's hollering, screaming. The, the, the invitation is from the world to follow the world's way of thinking, which does not submit to God. So in verse 22, Solomon's saying, How long, naive ones? How long are you going to be simple-minded? How long will you mock, or you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? And we want to ask the question, okay, Solomon, what did you mean when you used the word naive? What was going through his mind? Well, he's talking about an individual church that 
is easily seduced, somebody that's really gullible, somebody that's easily tricked and is willing to believe what everyone tells them. The the naive people he's talking about here are people, as a result of that, are people that act irresponsibly. And we have to ask ourselves, is there any irresponsible behavior that's still showing up in our lives? Got quiet there, Dr. Carter. He's talking about people that are thoughtless towards other people. They actually gain pleasure out of acting foolishly. And here's the problem, church, with the naive and the simple-minded. They seem to waste away their lives chasing after things that have no value and only end up harming themselves or others. Slide nine. Ask these questions, too. Let's get real. What are the things in your life and my life right now that we're chasing after that have no real value in our lives? Are there, are there things or people in your life or my life right now that are constantly trying to seduce us to move away from the Lord? Let's go get high down here. Let's party. Let's go over here and let's get drunk. It's okay. It's the holidays. It's all right. Let's shack up and lay with somebody we're not married to and say it's okay. And then Solomon leaves that part and he starts talking about the mockers. And the idea of mocking in the Hebrew, what he meant was people that ridicule or have disdain for someone else. People that are mocking to cause deep emotional pain or derision. Slide 10. So the idea here is how long will you ridicule someone or cause a person deep emotional pain or have disdain for a person? Is there anybody like that in your life right now that you have disdain for? And you think it's okay because of what they did to you. So therefore, it must be okay. Man, let's get real quiet, Dr. Carter. Is that a behavior that you realize or need to repent of yourself? As you can see, the Word of God is powerful. Slide 11, Hebrews 12, 15. This had me reflecting on this verse. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no, now listen church, follow the word of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. In slide 12, I like how the NLT says it. Look after each other. Well, there's a, there's a thought. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and ends up corrupting many. Then we looked at fools. Slide 13. I like how John Kitchen in his commentary spells it out for us. This is what he says about fools. This indicates one who is thick-headed and stubborn. It's not that the fool is stupid, but rather that he has by his refusal to listen to the wisdom of his parents, chose a resolutely self-destructive outlook on life. Wow, that'll hit you square between the eyes. The source of his problem is spiritual, not mental deficiency. He has no place for truth in his life, 
and no time for the fear of the Lord. Wow. He goes on to slay side 14. The problem, now look at this church, don't miss this, I beg you. The problem lies in our affections. We love what ought to frighten us. We delight in what should repulse us. And we hate what should be most cherished. Slide 15. How long, wisdom asks the question, how long will you continue in your foolish behavior? How long will you continue in your destructive behavior by mocking and assassinating somebody's character because of what they did to you? How long will you reject fearing the Lord and rejecting godly wisdom and replacing it with the world's wisdom? You know, it's important to note here, wisdom wisdom isn't like lashing out in some type of anger or frustration here. You see, the wisdom that comes from God knows full well the end result that fools will face. So this is why we see in verses 20 to 23, wisdom is sending out this, this emotional invitation to turn and respond, well, there's still time left for you to do that. Amen. And then we came to verse 23, and we looked at wisdom's powerful appeal to the naive. Look at slides 16 and 17. Here you see that very, that metanoia word, turning. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. Now look what he says here. I will make my words known to you. Church, there's no excuse. Or the NLT puts it this way. Wisdom says, come, emotional plea here, come. Please listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you. I'm going to make you wise. Why would we want to reject God's wisdom system from some foolish second-rate world system that doesn't submit to God? That word turn, we learned about that word. It means turning back, repenting, turning from evil to good. Slide 18. Bruce Walkie defines it in his commentary. This is about the word turn. He says, The central meaning of having moved in a particular direction to move thereupon in the opposite direction, away from evil to good, from folly, foolishness to wisdom, so that it becomes the most important term for repentance in the Bible. Wisdom says, turn to my reproof. That word reproof, if you remember, turn to my correction. Turn to my reprimand. It means to call into account. Have somebody hold you accountable for your behavior. That's where the body of Christ comes in, church. We are not supposed to be long-ranger Christians. Even he had Tonto just riding off on our own. We need each other to hold each other accountable. Slide 19, if a person truly repents, look at the promised result that that person will receive. I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. 
Imagine the very God that knits you in your mother's womb, that gives you every heartbeat and breath of life right now, is calling out to you and saying this, get in here, I'm going to make it known to you. This is truth replacing the lies that the world is telling you. The Hebrew here is extremely powerful. Notice God's promise. Literally in the Hebrew, God will pour out, literally he will gush out his spirit upon you. The promise is he's going to make his words known to us. And I've said this many times before. God the Holy Spirit never ever works independently from the word. Ever. He comes to bear witness of Christ, church. Look at slide 2021. It is the spirit, the pneuma, that gives zoe, that gives life. The sarks, the flesh, profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are, what does he say? Spirit and life. And the NLT says it this way. The spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words which I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So, you have it right there in the text. I want you to look with me now, verses 24 and 25. This is the consequences that Solomon lists in Scripture to his son. This is what happens if somebody refuses to listen to godly wisdom and counsel from Scripture. Because I called, you refused. I stretched out my hand. No one paid attention. You neglected all of my counsel and did not want my reproof. And the NLT says it this way. I like the NLT here. I called out to you so often, but, but you wouldn't come. I, I reached out to you, but you didn't pay attention. You ignored my advice. You rejected the correction I offered. What do we see here? He was, was reiterating what he was trying to say back in verse 20. Wisdom shouting in the street, slide 24. Crying out in the public square. Calling to the crowds on the main street. Calling to those gathered by the front of the city gate. There is a deep emotional plea that has been refused. Ask yourself, is there any truth in our lives about that? See, in, in the whole flow of Hebrew is speaking of this hardened rejection against God's word and wisdom. Wisdom has called out time and time and time and time again, but has been met with rejection. There is the, this stubborn, hardened refusal to heed the godly counsel and advice. God's wisdom, they hear it, but they don't listen to it. And this had me leading, looking in Isaiah for some reason. Slide 25 and 26. Isaiah 65, 1 and 2. He's writing to uh, Israel here. I permitted myself to be sought by those who do not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who didn't even seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation which did not call on my name. I spread out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in the way which is not good, following their own thoughts. 
Look at it in the NLT, slide 26. I was ready to respond. No one asked for help. I was ready to be found. No one was even looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that did not even call on my name. Does that sound familiar today? All day long, I, I opened my arms to a rebellious people, but they follow their own evil paths and their own crooked schemes. Slide 27. Be honest with, the God, with God and yourself this morning. Church, does that describe any of us at any time? It's very simple to look back and say, oh, those horrible Israelites. Oh, but we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and that's a permanent dwelling. Are we this way at times? God calling out, don't get high again. Don't get drunk again. Don't be doing those things. It's just going to bring harm. Don't do it. Don't get this girl pregnant, and then, then she's a single mom raising kids. Don't do it. He's calling out, do it my way. Do it my way. But how many of us are, he opened his arms up, and we didn't want to hear him or receive him. You see, church, Israel's problem wasn't a result of God refusing to hear them. It, God was pleading with them to turn back and give up their foolish be behavior. The problem is they're refusing to listen to God. And that's the problem we still see happening today, isn't it? People do not want to follow God's way of doing things, no matter how beneficial it would be for them. Solomon said there, this is slide 28, you ignored my advice, you rejected the correction that I had offered to you. No, church, people still want to make up their own plans and follow their own plans, have their own idols, and worship and control those idols. I'm going to give myself to the bar and the booze because I, I, I want to control that idol called alcoholism because it will give me what I think I want. It promises me freedom but only gives me slavery. I, I, I want the crack and the meth and the heroin and the oxycodone and the fentanyl because it will give me freedom. It's promising me this. So I'm going to give my time, talent, and treasure to that only to turn around and be enslaved by it because it promised me freedom but gave me what? Slavery and death. And we know that's true, isn't it? People want God to follow their terms. And when, they, and when God doesn't follow their terms, what do they do? They blame him for not listening or responding and the consequences that follow. God gets blamed for the very behavior that we blame him for, that we practice. And then you hear, God doesn't talk to me. No, nope. he doesn't talk to me. Well, you know, when was the last time you opened up your Bible? Just like Proverbs teaches us, follow God's wisdom and God's counsel or we suffer the consequences. Look at verse 26 and 27. Slide 29 and 30. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread, think about that word dread. When your dread comes and it comes like a storm, 
and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, and distress and anguish come upon you. And here's the NLT. So I will laugh when you're in trouble. I will mock when, when disaster overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm and disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, cyclone and anguish and distress overwhelm you, what do we see here? Is, is, God, is God some heartless, cruel God? Is he a heartless, cruel, horrible God? Absolutely not. You see, we've already read in the earlier verses God calling out, crying out, reaching out, stretching out his arms, trying to call us to turn away from behavior that's going to destroy us because he already knows it's going to destroy us. He's calling out. He's reaching out. But the simple-minded people, the naive, chose not to pay attention but to ignore and reject godly wisdom and counsel. So here in these verses, we're now seeing the consequences and judgment that the person brings upon himself. So 31, slide 31. I will laugh at your calamity, mock when your dread comes, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, and anguish and distress overwhelm you. On, you know, the calamity, the disaster, distress, anguish are things that people bring upon themselves when they fail to obey and do what God's called them to do. God doesn't make a person an alcoholic or a drug addict or, or, or you know, something like that or a thief or a liar. We make ourselves that way. So what is meant by this here? This is not laughter or mocking at their disaster they bring upon themselves, but at the foolish hardened-hearted choices they made that brought the disaster upon themselves because of their refusal to heed the wisdom God freely has offered to them. That's what's going on here. Think of the dread, church. Think of the anguish that happens when a person feels hemmed in and crushed from all sides like a storm or a whirlwind overtaking them because of the consequences of the poor choices that happens when choosing to reject godly wisdom. Now here's what Bruce Walkie says again, 32 through 34 slides. Wisdom does not laugh at disaster, but triumph of what is right over what is wrong when your disaster happens. This referring to a sudden calamitous event bringing great damage, loss, and destruction on someone. And we, you know, stop there. We, we need to think for a minute. What have we brought on ourselves from the foolish decisions we've made over our life? I know I've had plenty of my own. How about you? He goes on to say in slide 33, your means the calamity you deserve. This laughing, this mocking is expressing the disdain a conqueror feels towards the defeat of his enemies. He goes on, slide 34. Truth has a harsh edge. Wisdom does not dull it. Her shock tactics aim to persuade the young to turn to her, to wisdom. Wisdom rejoices in turning the present upside-down world right-side-up. When wisdom overturns folly, 
Righteousness outs wickedness. Knowledge overcomes ignorance. Humility topples pride. And life swallows up death. That's powerful. I hope you're seeing that. How about some more of the further consequences? Slide 35, 36. Proverbs 1, 28, 29 says this. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge. And look at verse 29. Remember, and think about verse, uh, verse 7 of Proverbs 1. They did not choose to fear Yahweh. Slide 36. <clears throat> the NLT. When they cry out for help, I won't answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. Why? They hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. Here's the question. Do you remember when I first started this series? He's not talking about shaking your boots. He, the fear he's talking about is the awe and reverence at the majesty of the Most High God. Do you have that awe and reverence for the Most High Majesty of all, the only being in the universe, God, Elohim, El Shaddai? Wisdom reveals something here. You're going to learn some new terms. I know Cheryl gets excited when I do this, and so does my wife. We're going to learn about Lex Telianus. Okay, Pastor Jack. I can hear Margaret Gillette one. Oh, what are you doing? Lex Telianus or Lex Law. No, I'm not going to go into some big excursions about Lex Law. I am going to explain Lex Telianus because that's kind of like what we see going on here. And I'm going to make it real simple for you. Okay, so Lex is a Latin word. It means a collection of legal rules and principles. Think of our Congress. They legislate law.
or relationship. It is therefore the opposite of love. Whereas love draws and unites, hate separates and keeps distant. Think, church. An emotional attitude towards a person or thing which are opposed, detested, despised, and with one with which one wishes to have no contact with. They hated knowledge. They wanted no contact with God. They detested God. They did not want any contact with knowledge. They despised it. Think about it. They hated it. They're opposed to it. They despise it. They don't want anything to do with it. And the text says they did not choose to fear the Lord. They, that word choose has the idea of trusting or to have confidence in. Think with me this morning about the consequences of this choice that they chose not to fear the Lord. They chose not to trust the Lord's word. They chose to have no confidence in it. They he hated knowledge. They opposed it. They had disdain for it. It gets better. It gets worse. Slide 40 and 41. Listen, I only have 18 more pages. You're fine. Proverbs 1, 30 and 31. Look at this. They would not accept my counsel, and they spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their way and be satiated with their own devices. And in our modern vernacular, slide 41, they rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. Church, they rejected God's wisdom. The fool did not accept counsel, but rather refused it, spurned it. Hear me this morning. I hope we're starting to see the importance of Scripture here. This failure to choose godly wisdom has the idea of a person who is unwilling to bend his will and submit to God's counsel. The foolish person says this. You ever hear somebody say this? No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. None, none of you all ever said that, I'm sure. And that word spurned in the Hebrew has the idea of condemning and rejecting, despising. So this person they're talking about here is a person who prefers living a life of sinful, rebellious behavior and has a contempt for God. He hates God, scoffs at God. Look at slide 42. Think about choosing foolishness over godly wisdom. What does that look like today? Sin over righteousness. Self over Christ. Hatred over love. Take a look at this list. This is the list about choosing the worldly way or foolishness. This is talking about choosing not to accept God's way. Sin over righteousness. Self over Christ. Hatred over love. Rebellion over submission. Disobedience over obedience. And judgment over forgiveness. Is there anybody in your life right now that you've chosen not to forgive? You think that you have the power because you are carrying around the bitterness and anger and hate and rage against someone and don't even realize that you're the one that's enslaved. You see, church, when a person chooses foolishly this behavior and this way of thinking over God's way of thinking, the result is slide 43. They must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking 
literally being satiated over full on their own schemes. So the bitter fruit here, if we want to look at the analogy, obviously is speaking about the negative consequences of a person's own actions. So he speaks of this person eating the consequences of that person's sinful way of life. You think about somebody that has spent millions and millions or thousands or whatever on drugs, and at the end of their life, what did it give them? What did the crack give me? What did the heroin give me? What did the Oxycontin and the fentanyl give me? What did the booze give me? The Jack Daniels and all that. What, did it, what, what was the payoff there? Okay, if I die, Jack Daniels manufacturer's not going to go, here's a million dollars, Mrs. Applebach, for your, for your funeral. I mean, let's think. Why give our money to things that tear down and destroy rather than investing in things that have eternal value? Do you want to go out on a pension or broke, or do you want to go out leaving a legacy? The bitter fruit, choking, satiated. They're, they're overfull. I can't eat another bite. I'm stuffed. My friends hear me say that often. Don't ask Pastor Bruce Crosser about that. Another way we could read it is this. A person is stuffed on the consequences of their sin, their own crafty, secretive disobedience to following God's way. Church, have we yet learned that temptation creates this appetite for sin that can never be satisfied? Why don't you look at verses, slides 44 with me. Dr. Ed Welsh, uh, he was one of my seminary professors, a brilliant man, says this. Practice, now look at this, I beg you. Practice repeated sin results in what? Slavery. A multitude of painful consequences and God abandoning people to their own desires, so they are left always wanting more. One more drink and you'll forget all about it. One more hit of the crack of your job, right? Welsh goes on to say, sin is not rational. Sin does not make sense. Here's another one. Sin doesn't look into the future. It's all about give it to me now, I want it now, I want it now. It doesn't consider consequences, especially if they're not immediate. All it knows is I want more. Just one more and you'll be okay. Just one more. Solomon goes on to say, slide 45 and 46, in Proverbs 1, 32 and 33, For the waywardness of the naive will kill them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. And the NLT, I love it. For the simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear or harm. Now that word listen doesn't mean just like listening to the radio in the background. The idea of listening there is listening with the idea of Humbly walk into obedience with the very God that knit you in your mother's womb. Who always has your best interest at heart all the time. The drug dealer doesn't. The bartender doesn't. The people that say the drugs don't. But God does. So what is Solomon doing for you and I this morning here? He brings to a close his treatise on wisdom. We see what happens to the naive person And what happens to the person who embraces wisdom as a way of life? He used the word waywardness. 
Waywardness is the idea of just just turning away from right is wrong, right and proper, to willful disobedience. Waywardness is headstrong, foolish behavior. Complacency describes a person who is careless, a person who is smug and is satisfied with himself just the way he is or she is. So here Solomon is speaking of a person who is a fool, who has completely turned back to wisdom. He's somebody that's turning back to wisdom. Or no, I'm sorry. Here he's talking about somebody that's turning their back on wisdom. This person has a very false sense of security by following his own foolish behavior right up until the moment God's judgment falls on him. Think about what happened in Sodom. Slides 47 to 48. This is Ezekiel 16. Here's Sodom and Gomorrah, and we've heard the story. Ezekiel says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance. They had abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I removed them when I saw it. And... Slide 48, Sodom's sins were pride, gluttony, laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. She was proud and committed detestable sins, so I wiped her out as you have seen. Do we see it, church? Do we see it yet? Any person who rejects God's life-giving Zoe wisdom is going to face the consequences of that decision that they make themselves. It's their personal choice. Their turning away from God is what causes their own destruction. But you see that little clause there in verse 33. But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. Let me close this out with slide 49 to 50 from Ed Welsh again. This is This is powerful. Imagine, now make sure you look at this. Imagine having temptations lose their allure because there is more pleasure in walking humbly with our God. Imagine waking up and strategizing how to please the God who loves you rather than where you will go for your next drink or fix. That's freedom, church. Slide 50, the basic, and this is Ed Welsh, the basic idea behind the fear of the Lord, however, is much broader than modern understanding of fear. While the holiness of God will leave many knees knocking when Jesus comes again, a mature fear of the Lord is more akin to all devotion and worship. It is a response that says, God, your glory is irresistible. In your presence, nothing else matters. You are all I desire. Church, can you say this this morning? Can you say, Jesus, your glory is irresistible. Your presence, in your presence, nothing else in this world matters. You're all that I desire. What could be the blessing if we turn from following the world's way of doing things to God's way of doing things, church? That's what 
God gives us with the gift of the book of Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, all 66 canonical books. The more you get into the Word of God, the more the Word of God gets in you, the more you change. And the things that used to have their appeal to you begin to lose their influence on you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. You'll be tested on Lex Talionis next week. Charles told me not to forget to, to do that for you. So I'm going to ask you this morning.